Morning, folks, on what is, at the time of recording, a very grey and misty day. Anyone would think it was an English winter. Anyway, what am I talking about today? Well, we're moving on to the time of year when we need to start looking at uh, the procedures that cover criminal investigations within England and Wales. And the major piece of legislation covering these investigations, and remember, criminal investigations only, it is the Police and Criminal Evidence Act 1984, an act which has remained substantially unchanged from that time. There have been a few developments, but at its core, it is still the same act that was passed way back in 1984. But before we start discussing PACE, which, to be honest, will be in subsequent podcasts, what we really need to know is how and why it came into being. Now, I suppose the first thing to say really is what is PACE? And PACE is it's a legislative, legislative framework and it does govern criminal investigations. Um, it introduces new powers for the police and other statutory agencies, but it also introduces a whole range of rights and safeguards for suspects. And if we were to summarise PACE and the use of the powers and this balance between giving the police the tools to do the job and safeguarding our rights as citizens, as members of the public, then we would say that fair and reasonable is the phrase. So again, fair and reasonable, it's all about that balance between letting the police do their job and also ensuring that we have the rights and freedoms that come from living in a Western liberal democracy. So let's get on with the fact as to why PACE existed or came into existence. Before PACE, uh, the rules regarding investigations, criminal investigations, were really fragmented. Rather than there being a single act that governed regulations and gave powers, there were a whole range of acts, and these had individual powers. So, for instance, um, you couldn't stop somebody and talk, you know, force them to talk to you um, or search them. No. However, if they were driving under the Road Traffic Act, you could stop them and you could require them to provide proof of identity. So this created an awful lot of problems. First of all, um, it was relatively straightforward for the police to inadvertently or otherwise use the wrong power for the investigation uh, they were using because these rules were so fragmented. So it was an easy mistake to make. It's also the every time a new act was passed that had certain rights with it, the police had to update their knowledge. Fundamentally, there were very poor controls, very few safeguards, and what safeguards there were were comparatively weak concerning the use of police investigations. And this led to a position where the public just didn't know what the police could or couldn't do. So this created a bit of a problem, but this wasn't the primary reason why PACE was introduced. Because if we go back all the way to 1912, um, the Home Secretary at the time asked the uh, 
what's now known as the Appeal Court, to sit down and come up with a range of um, powers or regulations that covered all the police forces in England and Wales. And there were loads of police forces. Suffolk alone had East Suffolk Police, West Suffolk Police, and Ipswich Police. So each police force had its own set of procedures, how it would do things. So if you can get your head around it, there would be, you know, hundreds, literally, you know, hundreds of police forces, and they'd all be doing the different, different things. So 1912, these judges went away, they sat down, and they came up with what were called judges' rules. Now, these judges' rules were enforced from 1912 all the way until 1984. So that's, a, in legislative terms, that is a huge, huge period of time. So what were these roles, or rules even? Okay, well, they allowed the police to question any person with a view to finding out whether and by whom an offence had been committed. So it so the police could question, did it say anything about whether people had to answer? No. It required the police to give a caution when they had evidence to suspect that a person had committed an offence. And lots of arguments cropped up around this about what actually was evidence. Did it have to, how far beyond the suspicion did it have to be? The judges' rules also required the police to give a further caution when the person was charged, and it prohibited questioning after the person was charged, unless in exceptional circumstances. And actually, that rule still applies, because when you charge a person, essentially what you're saying is, I have now got enough evidence, I believe, in order to prosecute you for a criminal offence. Okay. They required that a record of questioning be kept, but the guidance here was really vague. It didn't mean that every single word of the interview had to be recorded. No, just a summary with key questions and answers, or even just a brief couple of sentences saying, I interviewed John Smith from such time to such time on this date, and he told me, yes, Gov, I did it. It's a fair cop. And that would be sufficient. Um, and it also, judges' rules finally gave guidance on the best way to record uh, a formal statement, so a witness statement. Okay, so already your imaginations are running rampant as to what the police could do with such a really vague and pretty weak set of guidelines. Well, Okay, some of the problems that came up were the rules were vague and they were still open to interpretation by, by police forces. Um, there weren't any specific rules regarding what we now would call oppressive or unfair questioning. Indeed, the nature of the questions that could be asked were comparatively vague. In terms of confessions, how confessions were recorded is open to abuse. So, for instance, somebody could deny it consistently deny committing the offence consistently through an interview and then say after the fifth hour of, of questioning they 
might finally say, oh, fair and say, yeah, I did it. Just shut up. And that would be recorded as, yes, I admit it, I did it. So, you know, confessions, the rules were really weak. Rules around chain of evidence were weak. Um, the rules didn't really cover the treatment of people arrested by police. Um, but fundamentally, the biggest issue was that suspects were simply not adequately protected from abuse of procedures by the police. So what happened? Well, a series of miscarriages of, of justice. And there were lots and lots of them, um, whether it be related to uh, IRA uh, campaign of terrorism, as in the Guildford 4, the Maguire 7, um, the Birmingham 6, or whether it was down to cases of, of murder, such as Robert Brown, uh, case of Maxwell Coffey, um, even the, uh, the Carl Bridgewater, the Bridgewater 7. Miscarriages of justice kept on occurring, and they were occurring at such a rate and of such severity that the public and the politicians lost faith in the police and how they were conducting evidence or investigations and, and obtaining evidence because people were confessions were being literally beaten out of people, uh, documents were being forged, falsified. Um, alibis that proved that people were innocent were being ignored and not followed. Uh, evidence was mysteriously disappearing or mysteriously appearing. So as a result of these concerns, um, the government asked for a Royal Commission on Criminal Procedure, which ran from 1978 to 1981. And its mission was to look at how to restore uh, public faith in the police and in the criminal investigation process. As a result of their report, uh, that's how the Police and Criminal Evidence Act came into being. Now, what you need to do is that you will, you do need to know how and, and why PACE came into being. That's going to be an important uh, piece of knowledge for you to have and for you to be able to discuss. Okay, so uh, relatively by my standards anyway, short and sweet. Hope you found it uh, of some benefit. It's now began to rain. I don't know why I told you that, but there you go. And for a certain person's husband, uh, boom. Catch you later.